Before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You're about to listen to a special preview edition of the Grant Williams podcast, featuring my special guest and old friend, Roger Mitchell of Al Bakiara. For the last several years, Roger and I have been co-hosting a sports podcast together called Are You Not Entertained? Available in all good podcast locations. During that time, Roger's intimate knowledge of the workings of the highest levels of the business of sport have been both fascinating to listen to and highly educational. With high finance increasingly placing sport in its crosshairs, Roger explains what he calls the beautiful chaos which makes sport so attractive to investment capital, why a significant re-rating of sports franchises is on the cards, and why the future is, much to the chagrin of fans like myself, inevitable. He also outlines the immense fragility of the status quo and how, with a few simple tweaks to their communication strategy, the members of the proposed Breakaway League may have achieved a wholly different outcome. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including the end game, the super terrific happy hour, and the narrative game, is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, If you enjoy what you hear on this show and you want more high-quality content like it, please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And with that, enjoy the show. Well, Roger, hi, mate. It's good good to talk to you, even if it's in a different, slightly different environment. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Grant. Um, thank you for inviting me into your home. It's um, it's it's uh, it's a great thing. I'm I'm really, really, really pleased to be here. Well, look, there's there's there's, there's plenty to talk about, and you and I uh, have been talking about this stuff together for for years now. And um, you know, a, a lot of what you've been saying over these past three years of "Are oh, You Not Entertained?" has has come to pass, and and none more so than the kind of arms race from private equity, which which you've been talking about for a long time now. And given what happened with the Super League last week and the conversations you and I have had between then and now, I was I was really keen to get you to come and talk about this because it's it, you know it was interesting to see the commentary on the Super League in the financial community. You know, people kind of a little bit new to the whole idea and and really understandably, I guess, not really been paying attention. So um, what, what I'd kind of love for you to do at first is to is to perhaps lay out a roadmap for this and, and, and begin, I guess, with your time at, at the top administrative levels of the game back in in Scotland in the nineties. So if you could, if you take us back there to the landscape as it was, how you saw this really first start to come up on the radar screen, and then kind of the way it played out from there back in back in the nineties. Sure, sure, Grant. Uh, I joined. Um the Scottish Premier League, which was in a, a breakaway league in 1998. In the summer of 1998, the Scottish Premier League was a cut and paste, really, of the English Premiership that had been formed six years earlier. And those were um, 
leagues that were to be professionalized, to be slightly different from the way sport, and in this case, we're talking football, soccer, um, to, to bring it more into the modern world. And they weren't completely breakaways in that there was still, and we'll come on to this, it's really the feel rouge of, of, of all of this uh, promotion and relegation to the, the leagues that they broke away from. Uh, they broke away in a kind of like dowry type uh, mechanism where they they paid uh, solidarity payments down the way. So they they had a, a, an idea of wanting to remain in the in the football family, but deal with their business and their commercialization of the sport in a different way. And in 1990, I remember very well, almost my first week in the job, there was one of these UEFA. Who's the governing body? UEFA does called the Super Cup in Monte Carlo, and I already saw all of the big clubs kind of like huddling around together. There was an organisation at the time called Media Partners, which was a kind of like investment bank, and they they were clearly already thinking about how the world had kind of like the train had left the station, and that the polarisation of the big clubs from the rest of sport was going to continue that that would be i remember very clearly grant coming back to scotland and saying we are not in this club we are a small league and if we don't do something we're going to be at the margins of, of this sport going forward i came back to um, my league and i said look we need to try and amalgamate with other leagues that project was called the atlantic league and it involved us and other small leagues like portugal holland belgium greece turkey scandinavia i think that project was was the correct one then uefa stopped that because they they and in part part of their governance they don't like cross-border leagues because the, the their whole strength comes from geographical borders we'll probably get back into that and then later on, I tried to get uh, the Scottish football into a British league and amalgamate all, all the leagues in Britain, uh, because today there's uh, an Irish league, a Scottish league, uh, and obviously an English league. So I saw in 1998 the train leave the station, and it was very clear to me the path that it was going on. It was going to it was going to polarise, but but between what I call Hollywood clubs uh, and and what I've t- like to to t- refer to now as is art house and i make that analogy with the movie business um if you look at if you look at hollywood now it's really dominated by marvel franchise type output uh, and the kind of like art house films are, are are if you listen to scorsese not not really considered anymore i saw sport starting that that journey in 1998 grant so, so look Rog, um obviously that was really it wasn't the beginning because the the kind of money particularly in the in in the UK started coming in the early 90s when, when yeah. Sky came into the business. Talk, just tell us a little bit about how how football was before the Sky deal and why that Sky deal was so important and how that money changed football and how that set this whole chain of events in motion. Well, we need to go back and remember that in the 80s, English football was in a bad way. It had yeah, had a couple of couple of dreadful incidents at Stadia where people had died in fires or in crushing. And then there was Heisel. There was a whole lot of hooliganism. Uh, the, the, the sport had really lost its way. English football had been banned from European competition. So the senior clubs together with um, Rupert Murdoch decided that they, they could do it in a different way. 
Rupert Murdoch's News International w- would finance this what breakaway league, but I put that in inverted commas, as we'll as we'll hear later on. There was a difference with what happened last week, and there was a really a, a, a virtuous circle that was created. We we will invest in the game. Uh, you will bring in much better players from all over Europe and the world. The product will be will get better. It'll become more popular, and the virtuous circle starts. I would have to say that in the main, that was hugely successful. And as I said, we we copied that six years later. But what that did was it changed the mindset of the governance of, of football in this case. Because in the past, football and indeed all of sport in Europe, in the UK, had been run from where it came from, from its uh, Corinthian amateur roots run like um, a local golf club, a members association, one man, one vote, really around rules and regulations and administration. Uh, and, and there was not really an awful lot of money in the game. The, 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 the commercial role had not in any way been exploited. So you had really, really important community businesses, rugby clubs, football clubs, that were smaller in business terms than the local uh, supermarket. And when Rupert Murdoch came in, he changed all of that, Grant. There's, 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 a, there's a, a kind of feeling that UK sport particularly, uh, compared to American sport, was very, very amateur in nature. You know, the, 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 the US sports always seem to have been professional, and I mean that in the kind of true sense of the word. Everything about them was professional, and they were huge uh, marketing machines, Football was a little slow to kind of catch up with that in the UK and really across Europe, despite really fervent fan bases. I, I would argue, having grown up with with European football and and spent a lot of time in the US going to going to sporting events over there, that the fan bases for European soccer are are way more vociferous, may, way more committed, um, way more passionate, perhaps than the many American um, fan bases for for franchise teams over there so so how did that how did that how did the, the real money start to come into football because yes the tv deal is is a big deal but then we get into the era of the oligarch the kind of trophy club and we start to get some real money coming in to particularly english football what was it that drove that and and how has that kind of developed along the way hmm Uh, You're right, Grant. I I would say your first point, I would repeat what I said before. It's really the key to everything. American sport was born as a business, whether you say that was Mark McCormick and IMG and Arnold Palmer. But there was never any doubt American sport has got a cultural set up completely different to ours. Just think that the idea that you can move franchises from city to city, it's unthinkable for us. Yeah, Um, right. It's just unthinkable. You know, instead, you know, people should really understand this, that Britain is built on a class system and, and, you know, sport reflected that. If you had, you know, certain sports that were middle class, like rugby, like cricket, tennis, soccer, football was uh, the working man's game. And it grew up in, in the north of Great Britain and Scotland in the north of England uh, around industrial towns of mining and steel and were very much what I would call the escape of the working man and hence culturally very, very attached to that local community. And we still do have that way of thinking. 
The full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.